0: Well, good morning, everyone. I know Pastor Werner mentioned we've had you come standing up and sitting down a couple of times, but the church has this tradition when we read from the Gospels that in kind of respect and reverence for that, we stand for that reading. So if you'd mind joining me right now, this will be the last time, and then you can sit after this. We're going to have a reading from Luke chapter 9 today. Uh, it's a longer reading, so I've got the words on the screen you can follow along with today. Uh, And I'll be reading from my paper just so I don't lose my spot. So Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 36. And it says this. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, Well, God's Messiah. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after this, he took Peter, John, and James with him up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. This is reading from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He may be seated. Well, hello. My name is Chad. What's your name? Karen. Yeah, Karen. I hear you there, Karen. Now, working in the church and in church, and I get a chance to meet all kinds of people. It's very common for me to have to introduce myself, to put out a hand, say, "Hey, it's good to see you," or to hear someone introduce themselves and kind of explain themselves to me. And one of the things we ask when when we introduce ourselves to someone or we meet somebody new for the first time, we ask, like, where are you from? You know, where, where were you born? Where do you come from? Are you from around here? Are you from away? Isn't that the old maritime Newfoundland? Are you from away? Uh, we ask, what is it somebody does? What do, what do you do? What do you do for work? What do you do with your time? Are we related? Do you know people that I know? Are you connected to me, someone? you try trying build these connections. And the reason we do that is because when we begin to understand who someone is, we begin to understand where they're from, that influences how we choose to interact with them. For example, if I discover that, you know, you're a plumber, I might ask you about what to do about the freezing pipe in the backyard of my house after the 40-degree weather, and I won't go to you for legal advice. Doesn't that make sense? When we, we want to try to find out where people are from, you know, my kids think I'm famous because I went to school in Nakowick. All right. And the reality is, I'm walking around town. I go all over places in town, or I'll be in Halifax with them, or I'll be somewhere. And it's just interesting. People from Nakowick, they're everywhere. They really are. It's true. Yes, yeah, see, from Nakowick. Oh, who's from Nakowick here today? Anyone got Nakowick connections? You know? Yeah, you, You're from Nakowick. Michelle doesn't want to admit it. She lived at the school in Nakowick for a period of time. Everyone's got a Nakowick connection. Somewhere. I go places, I was in Calgary. I'm on the other side of the way. And I meet someone and they say, Oh, hi, Chad. Good to see you. How do you know them? I know them from Nakowick. It's, Dad, you know everybody. It's like, No, we're just like weird, us Nakowickers. We get up everywhere. Anyway. But we make these connections, and that, that that determines, oh, I know you, or I know your uncle, or I'm connected to so-and-so, and that changes the nature of our relationship. And we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke, we've been doing our series since we started the year called Exploring Jesus in Luke's Gospel. And G- Luke takes the time to kind of explain these questions about Jesus, like where is he from? He's from Nazareth, and he was born here, and he's connected to Mary, and Mary's got a story. And then also, we start to see who Jesus is and his character. And Pastor Wayne and Pastor Werner have talked about how Jesus is an advocate for those who are defenseless, who are when other people look down on them. He extends grace towards people. And this is important because how we understand who Jesus is influences how we react to his teaching, how we think about him, and how we relate to him in our life. And Luke's taking the time to introduce Jesus. And this passage here today is one of those key passages in Luke's gospel where we begin to see who Jesus is. And he begins by talking about who that people understand him to be. Now, just something to note, this is actually, if you're reading Luke's gospel with us, and it's not too late to join on board, don't worry about trying to catch up. Just join us where we are. If you go to sscchurch reading, you'll find that the passage we're reading today is actually your reading for Thursday and for Friday this week. I also discovered that whoever put together that crazy reading handout made a typo and the chapter's wrong on Friday, but this is where it is it was me. But if you follow along, it'll make sense. But there's a typo on the handout. My apologies to you for getting it wrong. But so we take a look at this passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 19. And Jesus asks his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And they say this, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Some think you're a prophet from long of old that's come back to life. And why would the people say these things? Well, some said John the Baptist. Well, it kind of makes sense when you look at Jesus' life in John the Baptist because John the Baptist was baptizing, and we read in the Gospel of John that as people began to follow Jesus, some of his disciples and Jesus, they were seeing that people got baptized still. When John the Baptist began his ministry in Matthew, we read that he went out and he says, repent. Turn, change your mind, change your direction, change your behavior, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then we also read at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, after he went in the desert and was tempted, what does he say in Matthew three seventeen? He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Change your behavior. So it's like, well, he's preaching the same message John is. At this point, we also know that John the Baptist had been executed by Herod at this point in Luke's gospel. And actually, Herod heard about Jesus going and preaching about this kingdom of God out in the desert and said, oh my goodness, this is John the Baptist raised from the dead just to torment me again. There's these parallels. So some people looked at Jesus and said, this is, this is John or something like John the Baptist that's going on. Other people looked at him and said, well, maybe this is the great prophet Elijah kind of returned to us. And they said, why would they say that? Well, last week, Pastor Wayne told the story about a widow woman who had lost her only son. He was dead and they were carrying through the city in the, in the casket or whatever they used at the time. And Jesus comes up and touches him and the boy is raised back to life for this woman who had no other children and was a widow and alone. Well, for us, we say, oh, what a beautiful, touching story. And it teaches us about God's compassion, which Pastor Wayne mentioned last week. But in addition to that, if you were a Jewish person at that time, you couldn't help but remember another story. There's this famous story in First Kings 17 about how the prophet Elijah, when there was a great famine in the land, went to a different country. And he goes to this different country, and this woman, she has almost no food left, and she cooks some food for him. She was about to cook food for her and her only son because they were about to die. There was such a famine in the land. And God miraculously provides for them. Well, then Elijah goes away for a little while and he comes back to town. And this widow woman who had baked food for him and helped him last through this famine, her son had died. He said, what's the good of all that you'd done for me when my son is dead? And what happened? Well, Elijah went up and by God's power raised this boy to life so this woman wouldn't be alone. Now, the people of Jesus' day look and say, there's a widow alone who has no one to support her, and God raises this woman's son up. Isn't that what happened with Elijah? Maybe Jesus is like Elijah. Maybe he's the prophet, come back. And others said, maybe he's like one of the other prophets. He he has this burning compassion and and grace about him, like Jeremiah the prophet had. Maybe he's like Jeremiah. And so people are disagreeing and wondering and trying to figure Jesus out. And I just wanna make a real simple observation, something that we should pay attention to. If even in Jesus' day, with him walking on the earth, people disagreed about who Jesus was, should we be surprised that people still disagree today? In that time, they shared the same language as Jesus. They were basically all Jewish people as he was. And still there was disagreement amongst the people as to who Jesus was. Should we be surprised that this farther out in time, that people still are confused and disagreeing about who Jesus is? Because if you go to our city and you talk to different people in our city today, they'll have very different views about who Jesus is. If I walk down to the mosque... And I talk to my friends at the mosque, and I say, hey, what do you think of Jesus? They'll say, well, Jesus, in his name in Arabic, it's Isa, he was a great prophet. Literally, like he is one of the acclaimed prophets. In fact, they revere Mary, his mother, say, so, yeah, he had a mother, her name was Mary, she was a very righteous woman, very righteous woman. But he is a great prophet, but, but you know, he, they, those Christians, they, they, that crucifixion thing, they didn't get that story quite right, I don't quite agree with that and I don't quite agree with that resurrection stuff, but we believe he was one of the great prophets that spoke of God. If I go to the, the Hindu temple or talk to my Buddhist friends, now, Buddhism and Hindu teaching were around before the time of Jesus. So they didn't, you know, they didn't prophesy or say things about Jesus, but his impact is so great that Buddhist and Hindu teachers and writers have written about Jesus and said, you know, he is a great wise man. In fact, someone say he was even an enlightened teacher. So that's the perspective they have on him. If you talk to people who have a more secular worldview, some of them will say, Jesus? That's a a great term to use when I'm really frustrated. That's the extent of what some people think. And others might have learned or thought some other things, say he's a good man or he's a great teacher. He talked a lot about not being judgmental. Some people just say, Jesus, he's just irrelevant. Who's that? What? I don't know much about Jesus. As I said, we shouldn't be surprised if there are contradictory and different views about Jesus today. So Luke, and he's trying to introduce us to who Jesus is, he starts by you know, telling the story about how Peter shared See, Jesus turns to say, okay, the crowds are confused. People disagree about who I am and what I'm about. So what do you say I am? What do you, you're the people who are following me, the people who are around me all the time. Who do you say I am? And Peter says this, he says, you are the Christ of God, depending on your translation or as the translation I had for you today. It says, you are God's Messiah. All right, so what does that mean? See, in the years between the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jewish people saw things in Scripture and they used this term Messiah and his term Christ or Christos in Greek, that's the translation that we use in English for it, as a designation for a future person that would come, a Messiah who would be sent by God to restore Israel's independence, to bring God's reign And to restore God's righteousness among the people. And the word Messiah literally means anointed. Meaning you would take oil and anoint someone. And this idea of being a chosen one means that this time of anointing would be something that would be done to someone to signify that they're being chosen as God's king. Or being chosen as a priest. So the Messiah or the Christ means anointed because that person is the chosen person who will restore God's rule and restore God's righteousness or the way of being God's people again. And people had debates in Jesus' day. Some people thought there'd be two people. Some thought that there would be a king who would be one person, and then there'd be a priest who'd be another person, and together they would come. And some people said, no, it's gonna be one person, but there were debates about this. And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. You are God's Messiah. And Jesus looks at him in the Gospel of Matthew. It doesn't say it in Luke, but it says in Matthew, it says that, he says, you're bang on. This is not just words you're speaking. This is revealed to you from God. You're right. I am that Messiah. I am the promised one. And Jesus continues in Luke, we read it. He says this really interesting thing, referring to himself in Luke 9.21, he says, the son of man. And we're going to stop. We're going to let it trail off here. Talking about himself. He uses this term saying the son of man. And what's that about? And sometimes people think when he says this term, it's a way of saying, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm somebody's son. I'm a man. But we have to understand that to the people who were raised in Jesus' time, the Jewish people surrounding him, when they heard the term son of man, it didn't mean, you know, I'm somebody's son. It referred to something specific back in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this vision about kingdoms and God's rule and God's reign. And then at the end of this vision in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, it says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. He appeared like a man coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. Now, what Daniel is saying in this way is he's talking about God because God is the one who is ancient before all time. He's the one who holds all time in his hands. And he says, this person, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority. This son of man was given authority and glory and sovereign power and all nations and all people of every language worshiped him. This man is worthy of worship And his dominion or his rule is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus, after Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're God's Messiah, you're the chosen one of God. He picks up this and says, you're right, Peter, the son of man, which refers to me. That's who I am. This term doesn't refer to being a person. It refers to being worthy of worship and identified with God and one who will rule in the kingdom. And then then what he says, Jesus does something that like scratches the record. He says, referring to himself, he says, the son of man must suffer. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And for those who've been raised in the church, maybe you haven't been, but if you have been, you've heard the story of Jesus and that he dies and is crucified. But this for Peter, who is sitting next to Jesus, would just be dumbfounding. Wait a minute. If, If you are... The Messiah or the Christ, the chosen one who will restore God's rule and restore God's righteousness to people, who will put things right. If you are the Son of Man, the one who will be one who will rule a glorious kingdom, who's worthy of worship, who has been given dominion, authority, and power, must suffer. That's not how this works in Peter's mind. In the Gospel of Matthew, Peter actually takes Jesus to the side and says, you've been reading your Bible wrong, Jesus. You don't know what the term means. You're the Messiah. You're, you're not supposed to suffer. That can't be. And we as, as believers, are, and those of you who might not be who are looking at this, but you might look back and say, isn't there a passage in Isaiah that talks about a suffering servant, one who will suffer for his people, but, you know, we look back through the cross and see and understand things there. But to Peter, like that was not part of the equation for what a Messiah does in Jesus' time. We can read back and see that now, but nobody was going around, you know what we really need? We need someone to come around here and die and suffer for us. This is like, no, we need to someone to kind of kick the Romans out of town and get the people who are kind of a little corrupt and hanging out with the Romans in the temple to kind of get their act together and get God's kingdom working the way it should be. And we, or me, I can't speak for you. I don't know what you do. But I'll tell you what happens with me sometimes. I look at Peter, and I'll tell you what my attitude is. like, oh, Peter, if you only knew what we know now. And I feel honest that sometimes it's like, oh, I've got the benefit of all this knowledge. And I know how God's plan works. And oh, Peter, if you were only like us now who understand these things fully. But I think we're more like Peter than we'd like to admit. We're more like Peter than we'd like to admit. Because here's the thing. Sometimes I tell myself I know what God's will is and what God's plan is for my life. Don't you? God's got a good and beautiful plan for my life. And astonishingly, when I write out what I think God's good and beautiful plan for my life is, it amazingly bears a great resemblance to my wants. It usually does not involve me suffering. It usually does not involve me facing rejection. But the only problem is, God's ways aren't my ways. Peter had it all figured out. Oh, Jesus, you're God's Messiah. You're God's chosen one. That means you're gonna do X, Y, Z. And I know how it works because I can read it in the Old Testament. And I, which wasn't the Old Testament, it was just the Bible to him. I can go to the Bible and I can see your perfect land and I can connect all the dots. And Jesus says, Yes, Peter, you're right. I am God's Messiah. I am the chosen one of God. I am the Son of Man that was foretold, and I'm gonna suffer. And Peter's like, wait, uh You know, it's interesting. I find, I find this pattern again in the transfiguration, which is the fancy term that's used for when Jesus, you know, has his glowing clothes and has this revelation of what he looks like and, and who he really is to the disciples up there. And it's really interesting because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story of the transfiguration, when there's that moment when God reveals who Jesus is to his disciples, happens at the same spot in the gospel, right after Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to suffer, this moment happens for each of them. But there's this pattern where there's a glimpse of who Jesus is, and his radiant, there's this radiant glory that happens around him. And I just find it so fascinating that you know Luke is helping us see what Jesus foretold. He says, this is eight days later, But Jesus was said to be like this Son of Man, this radiant, glorious, divine, ruling Son of God, embodiment of who God is. And all of a sudden, the disciples get a glimpse of that right after Jesus tells them the week before. And then they see Moses and Elijah on the hill. And it's it's amazing. And Moses and Elijah are like the two key figures in the Old Testament, Moses, the bringer of the law, and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. And they're hanging out with Jesus. And so what does Peter do? Peter says something. When well, it looks like he wakes up and it looks like they're about to leave. Hey, guys, I could build us some tents. I could build us some shelters. Why don't you hang out? It's good for us to be here. Now, was it just that Peter just wanted to hang out and kind of like, you know, have a campfire and just thinking, hey, this is a great chance to shoot the breeze. What was it like in the desert, Moses. Do you still have your stick? Can you part water with it? You know, I'd want to see, can you do parlor tricks? No. These two people, these this, the embodiment, this vision they had of meeting these two people, these were the ones that represented the, the greatness of Israel's history. And Peter, I, I believe this myself, that Peter thinking if the role of the Messiah is to put things back the way they should be, then this is a sign of he will restore us back and take us back to what we should be. So these guys should stick around. It's good for them to be here. We're gonna bring the kingdom in now. Go! I've got a plan. We're gonna see the priest and the prophet. We're gonna see the law come back. Things are gonna be right. Let's build shelters and let's let's see the kingdom come. He didn't know what he was saying. And then the cloud comes down and says, this is my son. Listen to him. And then they see Jesus standing alone because Peter's great plan to see the old things brought back, to see God restore things the way they would be was not God's plan. Jesus was God's plan. Jesus was God's plan. And it didn't look like what Peter thought it should be. And that takes us back to what Jesus said. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And this is the amazing part of God's great story, is that Jesus was God coming to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He would suffer and he would die. He'd be rejected. He would... Pay the price for our wrongs that we might be forgiven. See, the story of Jesus is the story of not just a great teacher or not just a great prophet or someone with great insight. It's of God coming in a way unlike before and choosing not to rule with an iron fist, choosing not to push down, but choosing to suffer rejection so we might be accepted. He put his rights to the side to make room for us. So then what do we do? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus continues, and he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I didn't put it on the, on the screen, but he continues to say, what's the benefit of gaining the world and, and losing yourself or losing your soul, depending on the translation you have? And I was looking at this verse, and I, I was thinking about this verse a lot as I was getting ready for today. And actually, as I read it, something struck me that, that I'd never really thought about before. Because what often when I'd read this verse, I would read this verse and think about the whole point of this verse to say I need to be self-sacrificing or I need to be ready to take a burden or I need to care less about myself. And and there's elements of that that are helpful to understand. But what really caught me was the part I underlined today was take up your cross daily and follow me. And here's what really struck me today to share. Is that the call to take up our cross and follow Jesus is not primarily about choosing a way of suffering. It's about choosing to follow Jesus and be with him. It's about being with Jesus. Jesus says, he's inviting us to say, would you follow me? And it just so happens to be that the Jesus path is the path where people misunderstood him and people opposed him, and people killed him. That's not happening to me today, at least, thankfully. But, but Jesus was saying this. He said, if you choose to follow me, in the same way the crowd doesn't understand who I am, there are going to be people who don't understand who you are either. But follow me. If you choose to follow me, there will be sacrifices that I make out of my love for others. And if you follow me because of your love for me and following me as I go and I make these sacrifices, you have to make sacrifices too, but you'll be with me. This will cost you your very life, but you will find life like nothing else if you follow me, if you follow my way. On Thursday night, I was here for The Hub, which is our middle school and high school ministry. Great group. Great group of young people. Uh, and Edison Demiakia shared a fantastic message. It was really good. We were talking about anxiety um, and dealing with anxiety, and which is just really good. And he, he made a point that was just oh so good. He says, often when we talk about anxiety or about our problems, our desire is just for God to take our problems away to take our anxiety away, to take our issues away. And it's not to say that God can't heal things and change things in a moment because there are times that he does. But what God promises for sure is he will walk with us through everything. The greater issue here is that we are walking with Jesus and knowing he's walking with us. That's why we quote Psalm 23. say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As believers in Jesus, as people who Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross daily and be with me. So God is trustworthy even when things don't work out the way we want or when we sense that rejection that from others that Jesus experienced or when the healing doesn't come the way we want or when our good and perfect plan doesn't come out the way we think it should because God's plan is different than our own. If we follow Jesus with our cross, we will discover that we find life and it's not about because us being so great that we take a cross, but no, it's because we follow the one who has paved a way and showed us the way to live that brings true life is the way that is with him that will entail suffering, that will entail rejection, that will entail problems, but will also give eternal resurrection life now and forevermore. He gives us a promise. Will you walk with me? Will you walk with me? I am the chosen one. I am your hope. I am your deliverance. I am your peace. But the path doesn't always look the way you think it should because it's the way of my life. You see, the command to take up our cross and follow is a call to be with Jesus knowing he leads us to true life, to real life. Today I want to stand before you and I just want to say say this if we look in Luke's gospel and we look and say how can I understand who Jesus is what's he really about maybe you're here today and and you're like the people in the crowd or maybe you're like Peter say who and Jesus is saying hey who who do you say I am or what do you think I am or what are people telling you I'm like and maybe you've heard different answers maybe you've heard some of the answers I shared from culture maybe you've heard other things maybe you've just got your own plans Jesus, in this passage, reveals that he's God's chosen one. And God affirms it with this miraculous moment in his life. He is the chosen one. He's the one who saves, who offers new life, but not just by promising you a bed of roses. He says, there will be hardship if you follow me. But if you follow me, you'll find life. And I prove it by walking it out first, by leading the way first, by rising from the dead, God affirms who I am, that I can offer life to you. So if you're here today and you don't know what to make of Jesus, I'm going to pray and I'd invite you to say, Jesus, I might not get everything right, but Lord, I want, I want to trust you, Jesus, with my life and I want to follow you because I think you're, you're where your life is. And if you're somebody who's known Jesus for a while and... Here's the thing, Peter knew Jesus for a while. Maybe God wants to unmuddy our thinking a little bit and realize that some of the things we don't think should be happening might be things God is calling us to walk through with him and to trust him with it. So today I wanna close. I wanna pray for you before we go and trust that God might be able to speak to your heart today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we thank you for what Luke did in recording this amazing piece of your life in the Gospels. Lord, today I just want to begin with people who might be confused about who you are, Lord. Jesus, in this passage, you clearly affirm that you're God's chosen Deliverer. Lord God, you even bring down a cloud and have this vision and affirm again, as you did at Jesus' baptism, this is my Son, Listen to him. God, may we listen to you and understand that, God, you are the chosen one. You are God's son. You, are, you come down, and you chose to suffer and die, not to rule with an iron fist, but you come to extend grace and forgiveness and show us, God, that the way forward is not the way of power, but it's the way of service and the way of humility and the way of forgiveness. God, may you help us to turn to you with our own brokenness and and receive the forgiveness you offer us. And then, Jesus, I pray as we receive that gift, we'd also hear your invitation, your command even, to say if we want to be your followers, we need to take up our cross. We need to be willing to deal with the rejection and suffering that comes, God. But also know, God, that it comes with the promise that we'll find real life, God, I think of the people that I've seen that have known you for years, God, that just have real life in their eyes. Real life pouring out of what they do. They give life to others, God. May we be the people who have your life because we've been willing to lay our lives down just to be with you. Fill us with your grace and hope. Help us to follow you each day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Next week, we're gonna be looking at how Jesus teaches us to pray. I pray that you'll come back and join us for that. But today, may you find Jesus as you follow him out these doors and know that whatever you face, he will walk with you if you choose to follow him. God bless you.